Welcome to SCD Church's podcast. You can always join us for our live services Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings out at our West Auditorium. You can also tune into our services live online at seacoastchrist.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages. Thanks so much for listening. Hey, listen, glad you're here. Uh, Super Bowl Sunday. And uh, yeah, I was thinking about I was thinking about Super Bowl and thinking about I had a thought what I should talk about, and I was kind of, you know, kind of debating about it. And uh, and then I saw this clip, and it kind of confirmed it for me. And it was uh, it was um, a clip of uh, what's his name? He's got a brother played for the Giants. He played for the Colts. Uh, Peyton Manning. And uh, we have a lot of football fans here. All three of you got that. Uh, great. Uh, so anyway, uh, I saw a clip of him. It was during a game. He was mic'd up. You know, they sometimes put a mic on, on the players, whatever. He was mic'd up, and it was him yelling. I mean, screaming at this poor guy named Jeff. Evidently, Jeff was his center, and he was yelling, and he was saying, some of you actually know who this guy is, Jeff. What's Jeff's last name? Dude, that's impressive. I'm not going to lie. And so he's yelling at him, and he's saying, you don't call a place. I call a place. Stop calling a place. Just do your job. Just block. Just block. And he's yelling. And finally, which is funny because Jeff is big, like way bigger, right? And what's even funnier is an even bigger dude gets up and gets between him and starts backing him off. Like, sit down, sit down, just sit down. Just sit. And I'm thinking, they're not going to hurt him because he makes all their money for them. Right? Peyton Manning makes all their money. And so I was thinking about the intensity of that moment. And I hope he had enough relational uh, stuff in the bank account there with Jeff that they, they were still friends afterwards. But I mean, he was teeing off on him. And then I began to think about that. Would teammates, real teammates, ever do that to each other? The answer is absolutely yes. High-functioning teams, they hold each other accountable. Right? In, in the game today, if, if somebody doesn't do their job, do you think somebody will say something to them or just go, well, you be you? <laughs> right? No way. They're going to be in their kitchen. There's millions of dollars on this deal. There are careers on this deal, right? This is a big deal. This is what they've been working for together. They have covenanted together to win. And whatever it takes... And if that includes me getting on your case or you getting in mine when I miss my, my assignment on defense or my blocking assignment or I run the wrong route or whatever it is, there will be some interaction here, I'm just telling you, because we have agreed together that we have a common goal. That is to win. Here's what I think. Um, here's my thesis for today. As Christians, I think we have lost sight maybe of the common goal and certainly of the accountability required to get there. I think if we are to be teammates, and we are, scripturally we are, that we need to raise our expectations of each other. That we need to expect more from each other. And we need to want others to expect more from us. It's not because I want something from you, it's I want something for you. See, oftentimes we raise our expectations, like in a marriage where, well, I'm raising my expectations. You need to do more for me. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about getting something from you. I'm talking about hoping something for you. So if I see someone just messing up and about to just self-destruct because I want more for them in their marriage, in their family, or their character, in their business, whatever it might be, they're about to just mess up. I want more for them. I may need to step in and say something in love because I care because I want more for them. 
And I think that we have lived in such an individual, hyper-individualistic society for so long that we have come to believe that faith is, is private and personal. It is personal. Christ died for every one of us. But I guarantee you that a lot of people saw the disciples following Jesus around. There were no secret disciples. It is not private. It is not private. Our faith is to be corporate. It is us together because you can't get there by yourself. God ordained it so to to live the life you were created to live. You have to do two things. You have to know God and you have to be known and know his people. You have to be known by and know his people. You need God and God's people. And we've come to believe in this hyper-individualist society, which, by the way, I'll point out a couple times today, has just led us to all kinds of self-destructive thought patterns and behaviors. We've come to believe in this hyper-individualist society that my faith is just me. It's just me and God, and that's all I need. And that's a lie, a lie that will destroy your Christianity and your spiritual journey. I'm just telling you. And so today, I want us to raise our expectations of what community looks like and what it means to be in the body of Christ, to call ourselves a Christian. My comments are taken from um, um, Hebrews 10. I think Chelsea actually um, did a little um, text on this on Friday. Um, And it starts in, in verse 21. It says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, now I'm going to stop right off the bat. You're saying, well, this is going to be a long time if he stops every four four words. But, and it is, you may or may not miss the first half. So, brothers and sisters, I grew up in a denomination, a Christian environment, in which people called each other brother and sister. I don't mean like, like, like here, brothers and sisters. No, I meant like brother Surratt, uh, sister Smith. They called each, it was weird. All my friends from school thought it was weird, but I realized, and we don't do it anymore because it was, well, it was weird, but, <laughs> but I realized recently that a part of doing that affirmed the identity that we're on the same team. They didn't call the banker, unless he went to the church, brother or sister. They didn't call the, the mechanic, brother or sister. They called the people on the team, on the spiritual team. They called them brother and sister. Some of the studies we're doing and some of the research that we're reading and, and some of the commentators that are reading about current culture in terms of faith and spirituality is that we're going to have to understand that to survive, much less to make an impact in our society, we are going to have to be a team and we have to identify ourselves as a team, the team of Christ followers, of people trying to be like and walk with Jesus and to call each other brothers and sisters. He's, he's advocating? no. But I am saying there was something good about it that it said, if I called you brother, that meant I knew you were on the team. Therefore, I have higher expectations of you, right? See, we can't walk around the world expecting everybody to act like Christians. But we can walk around to the brothers and sisters and expect and encourage and help each other to act like Jesus, right? We raise the expectations right off the bat. So... Let's get past the first four words. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way to open for us through this curtain that is his body. It just means those of us who come to believe in Jesus. This is a reference to the Old Testament having animal sacrifices and stuff to try to be right with God. Now we have Jesus so we can live a different way. It goes on. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, 
Let us, and I want you to notice there are three of these. Let us draw near to God with sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. The word spur, by the way, is irritating. By the way, you think, oh, it's cruel to spur a horse. It may or may not be, but it doesn't hurt him. It just irritates him. The word spur is interesting. You know what I'm talking about when they spur a horse, right? It's that thick. They're not really hurting them. are just ticking them off, right? Interesting phrase, don't you think? It literally means to irritate, to provoke someone. So we are to provoke each other. Some of you are good at... <laughs> but you might want to read the rest of the sentence. And let us consider how may, we may spur one another on toward love. See, so you're good at irritating. It's just not toward that end. <laughs> toward love and good deeds, not giving up, meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. I love this, this paragraph. I love this because it gives, us, it, it gives us some wonderful things about winning in life and winning in, in terms of being who God made us to be. Uh, so let's just start with this. The lettuce, the let us, there's three lettuces there, okay? Let us. And it's that we are to be together as a team, growing and growing each other. Uh, we are to be on each other's side and, and, and growing. So what does it say let us do? It says in your team, as a body of Christ, in your team, let us draw near to God. Draw near to God. Now, what's interesting about, about this, this thing is that... Um, we can encourage each other to draw near to God. Which, how do you draw near to God? By the way, it talks about the relieving of your, of your uh, guilt, receiving forgiveness. How do we encourage each other to receive forgiveness? We encourage each other to, to live in repentance. Okay, so here's the deal. <clears throat> we have choices in life. One is, are we going to be a giver or a taker? Are you going to be a giver or a taker? Um, Generally, takers end up with more stuff. Givers end up with more friends and family, right? Um, and so when you die, do you want more stuff or do you want more people to love you? You call it, which is more fulfilling. And you might think it's stuff. Well, you know, money can't buy me love. It's exactly right. It can't buy you love. So what do you want? You want more stuff? So the question is, in life, are you here to take or to give? Why are you on this earth? To take or to give? That's what I want to know. So, because that matters when you walk in these doors. Are you here to be a, a consumer or a contributor? If you're walking in church, I didn't get anything out of that. Well, maybe that's not why you were there that Sunday. Maybe you were there that Sunday to sit next to a person who just lost their spouse and you were supposed to say hi and just smile and notice they were crying. Say, you okay? And maybe they get to tell you their story and maybe you relieve their, their pain and bring them a little comfort. Maybe that's why you're here. Ever discover that? You ever think about that? Well, I didn't get anything out of it. Yeah, but did you give anything? Did you bring anything to the table today? Because you came, did you at least give God praise? Did you at least make God glad he made you today? So, well, it got quiet. Well, it's going to get a lot more quiet in a few minutes. Um, <laughs> you ain't seen nothing yet. Remember, I haven't eaten for three weeks. So um, <laughs> you want some honesty out of me. That's the way to get it right there. So you showed up on a good Sunday. I've had people over the 40 years of ministry, I've had a lot of people leave our church. Very few people left well or for right reasons. It's almost always 
Well, I'm not getting, I'm just not getting what I, I don't care. I don't care. Now, if I mistreated you or I misspoke to you or we aren't, there are reasons to leave a church. They're preaching heresy, get out of there. If they're stealing money, get out of there. If the guy up front's not trying to live out what he's preaching, get out of there. But a reason not to leave a church, well, I'm just not getting my, let me tell you another good reason to leave a church. I feel like I have a gift that I need to give, and I feel like God wants me to give it here. And it's not in my church. It's here. I did that. I left a church. I was on staff at a church. I resigned because I felt like God called me to come to California. And, and I said to my pastor, I got to go. I feel called. I don't have any issue with her. I love you. I love the church. I love being here. I just feel like what I have to give, I need to give in another place. And, and, and he, he got mad. He, he wounded and hurt because and, every pastor does. And just know that. When you leave here, it hurts. Uh, and uh, the, only the most godly of us can handle it, like me. <laughs> and he kind of got wounded. And I marched into his office and said, hey, we've been together a long time. And I've been completely loyal to you. And I want you to know I'm not leaving because I'm mad. I'm angry. I'm leaving because I have something to give. And I'm supposed to give it somewhere else. Because it's not about what I get out of this deal. It's about what I give. And you know what? He kind of smiled. And we kind of were okay from then on. And he blessed us. And, and we left out from that place. Uh, because you don't leave because you're not getting what you want. You're leaving because you need to be giving something somewhere. Now, you need to come here and get stuff. I, I understand. There are things we need to get. I get it. But the reason you get is to give. It's not just to get and then get and then get some more. Right? It's about getting so I can get healthy, I can get whole, so I can give, so I can be a contributor, not just a, a contributor, not just a consumer, right? Because there are people in this room that God has designed that you're supposed to connect with, and if you don't connect with them, God may provide somebody else, but you miss out on the blessing of connecting with them and, and, and giving to them, right? And one of the things you can give to them is you can help them draw near to God. So, so um, Let's talk about, let's talk about uh, repentance. So this draw near to God comes through repentance. That's why it references uh, the sprinkling of the blood. It's all about forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. But the only way we get forgiveness through Jesus Christ is if we come to a place of repentance. And oftentimes, the only way we come to repentance is somebody calls us on our stuff. And how are you going to do that if not on a team? So I was, uh, I was, um, I don't know how I ended up here, but I, I do, but it's a long story. So I'm, I'm, I'm online, and I watched this interview with someone who I had known 30 years ago, someone well-known in the Christian community um, who uh, went on for the intervening 30 years to be better known in the Christian community. And I had kind of lost track of what happened to him. And I saw this interview, and this person was in this interview with two other Christians um, talking about the fact that they'd walked out on their family and justifying it. Now, I may have been exercising one of my, one of my greatest gifts, which is judgmentalism, but, um, <laughs> and it is a gift, it's just not a gift from God. <laughs> I, I know where it comes from. Um, but I listened, and I listened to, to, to the interview, and I tried to keep find ways that I was wrong, but I, I need to tell you, and I, and I may still be wrong, but as the explanation for why this divorce happened, and this person walked out on their family, there was a whole lot of, well, I just began to feel. Well, I just realized that what I wanted, I just realized that I just really wanted and needed to, and there was never any indication of any biblical grounds for divorce. Now, if you're a divorced person, I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or anything. If you're a married person, I'm trying to tell you don't get divorced. That's what I'm trying to tell you, okay? And, 
in this, there was just all of this, uh, all of this kind of, this kind of building of this bulwark of why and reason and justification why this person walked out on their family. There was never any indication that their spouse had cheated on them. There had been any abuse. There had been anything that, that biblically required. It was just all this. I wanted. I realized. I, I felt all of this stuff. And I just. And then when the interviewers responded, I was so disappointed. In the response, which was. Yeah, sometimes you've just got to say, I want what I want. I saw headlines in the news this morning. Kim Kardashian has now become so committed to her own personal happiness, she's willing to divorce. Anybody shocked? Anybody anybody surprised at all? But the headline was, she's finally become so committed to her own personal happiness, she's even to the point of divorce. Was anybody in doubt about that at any point? (laughs) Ever. See, Here's the deal. We have come to this hyper individualism where we just believe that what I feel and what I want is just the ultimate authority. But that's not what God's word says. God's word says that your word should mean something. When I say I do, it means I will. And with God's help, I can. And that my personal happiness is not the most important thing in the world. <laughs> You said that you're an American, you know, you said that. <laughs> Here's what I wanted to get. And so the, the interviewer's like, and hey, you're right. Oh, good for you. And I'm like, no, not good for you. I wanted to say, and if I saw this person, I will say to them, where's your team? Where are the people in your life that are speaking truth to you from God's word? Where are the people in your life when your faith is low that build your faith up? Where, a number of years ago, uh, we went up to Montana and recorded a, a series of, of talks that I did. It was out in beautiful, and it was, in, it was out in these beautiful wheat fields and, and green pastures. And I did it because I wanted to take a couple of weeks off, so I recorded some sermons in advance from this little church we, that used our videos up in Montana. So I went up and spoke up there. And uh, one day I was doing it, it was on this beautiful pasture, and there's a little like red barn kind of kind of falling down a little bit, red barn over here, a little farmhouse. And we're walking up the road, and I'm just doing this sermon as I'm walking, and the cameraman is just backing up. Now, what I need to tell you is there was cattle that had been running. <laughs> and the funniest thing, I, I almost didn't make it through, because as I'm teaching, I'm watching the cameraman, I know what he's about to step in. But I know that if I tell him that we've got to stop the shoot and I've got to start over from way back down there and from point number one for the sermon, and I'm not willing to do that. I'll buy him new shoes. I'm not starting over. And so I just kept walking and talking and sure enough, and his foot kind of slid and he caught himself. And I didn't laugh. I just kept on going. Just going. I wasn't a very good friend. I was more concerned about starting over than I was about him stepping in. You need some friends who are concerned about what you're about to step in. Is that graphic enough? Because <laughs> I've talked to enough people who divorced and got remarried. The second marriage didn't go any better than the first one. Statistically, it goes worse, by the way. Significantly worse. And I don't want to disappoint you if you're in a second marriage. God can help you. We believe in that. We'll help you too if we can. But if you're still in the first one, stay there unless you're getting beat up or they're cheating on you all the time. Say, so, well, that's just harsh. You need some harsh friends in your life. You need some people on our team who tell you when you're about to step in it, when you're about to make a stupid decision because of greed in your business, when you're about to make a, a moral decision that's going to feel good in the moment, it's going to cost your family in the end. I don't care what this person does, the rest of their life, their kids are going to go, you quit. 
You quit. You quit on our family. Right? We need some team members who will just step up and go, no, we're not going to let you step in that. We're not going to let you do that. That's not working. The Bible says you got to do life as a team. And it doesn't mean showing up and doing the happy club. Oh, we're just all happy and everything's perfect. Because it's not. We're jacked up, all of us. And if you're not jacked up today, you might be tomorrow because you'll step in something. Right? You need a team. And you need to be intentional about it. You need to understand it. And I'm not even through one half of one point. (laughs) Draw near to God in faith. Hold fast to the hope in God's promises. I was with a couple of friends that I've been doing life with for a very long time this week. We were talking about how tough life has been on each of us. All of us thought at this point in life, things would be wired. And, you know, we'd be on cruise control or whatever it is. By the way, if you're younger than me, it never gets there. It's never on cruise control because something's going to come out of left field and smack you upside the head. You didn't expect. Happened to me. And we're talking about, you know, how our bodies have handled the stress and stuff. And, and we've been praying for each other the last few weeks and checking in on each other. And what was wonderful in that conversation was that it just automatically evolved to a conversation about how good God has been to us over the years. And the realization that he's not going to quit being good to us now. We've known people for a long time and you've walked through some stuff together and God's delivered you through what seemed like impossible situations. When, when you've been through that together, you're able to remind each other. There's a reason for hope. Here's what's happened. We live in a world that says, oh, just hope. It's going to get better. And I always want to, when people just say that, it's just going to get better. Things have a way of working out. No, they don't. They don't have a th- way of working out. Not always. There's a whole bunch of dead apostles and disciples who died as martyrs. Didn't work out so great. Except this. The hope that we have from God works out because his promises are true, whether it's on this earth or in heaven to come. You see, the hope that we have as Christians, the hope we remind each other of, the hope that we build each other up with, it's not just, I hope it's going to work out. I just have a feeling. I don't give a rip about your feelings. Here's what I care about. I care about God's promises. And if God promises it's going to work out, even if it doesn't work out in this life, it'll work out in heaven. His promises are true. See, when my wife said I do in Tulsa, Oklahoma, all those years ago, I believed her. Not because she said the words, I do. I believe she would, not because of saying the words, but because of her character, because she always does what she says she's going to do, because she's got that kind of character. You see, hope is built on the promises, and the promises are only good dependent upon the character of the person making the promises. So I can have hope because the promises are from God, who is perfect, and who always wants what's best for his kingdom and for me because of the same thing. So even in my darkest hour, when I think I'm going to lose everything, I think it's all gone and it's not my fault and there's nothing I can do about it. I can, my friends have reminded me, I can have hope because he promised he would take care of us. All things work together for good for those who love God and live according to his purposes. That's his promise. And he's never lied to me. See, I need people who come around me and build up my faith and give me hope again. Not just hope for hope's sake, but because of the character of God. Because they know the same God I know. That's why you need a team, and I need a team. And then it says that we are to draw near to God, hold fast to hope, and consider one another. This word consider means to, to be super aware of opportunities, to invest in others, to remind others, to encourage others, to, to be aware of opportunities to spur one another on, to help each other. 
as I, as I th- think about this, this considering one another, this whole team thing kind of becomes even more important, I think. If, if you're trying to do life on your own, there'll be some point where your faith is low, your hope is gone, and you won't be able to make it without a team. But if you have a team around you who has been walking alongside you, who has been encouraging you, who's been helping you all, you know exactly how to make it through. You make a phone call, I'm struggling. They don't just say kind words, they begin to pray. They begin to invite God in the situation. They begin to remind you what God has done and what his promises say. They become active, spiritually battling on your behalf. And you're going to need that at some point. So some of you have heard me tell this story about 15 years ago. Yeah, maybe it was 13 years ago. I went to, I went, a friend of mine invited me to this ministry thing that was happening. It was in the Alps. I'm thinking, the Alps, how bad could it be? Let's go. And it was a ski retreat. I'm thinking, I like to ski. I'm not very good, but I like skiing. So, and then they said, well, we're going touring tomorrow. I thought touring was skiing down because you ski through villages sometimes. I thought you'd stop here and have a hot chocolate. You have a, you know, you have some, some bratwurst over here. You know, you just kind of, you know, you do your thing. I didn't know it was climbing the mountains first in your skis and then skiing it down and then climbing the max mountain. For eight hours, I duck-footed my way up mountains in boots that I had rented that were cutting, literally cutting into my ankles. It was so bad. I didn't think I was going to make it. I sidestepped for a mile at one point up a mountain in snow too deep to walk in if I took my skis off. And, and, and I'm facing another one of those and I kind of get over the first rise, think I'm going down. There's another mountain ahead of me. And the guide comes alongside and he does this. Boom. He gives me a shot, like an elbow in my shoulder. Move it. And I'm like, I'm going to move something. (laughs) But I started giggling. You know why? Because just the week before I read about two mountain climbers and one of them was coming down and they were running out of time and they were about to get frozen in and one of them just wanted to lay down for a while and they, the only way to keep him from laying down because he would freeze to death is to hit him and make him mad because only anger could get him down the mountain and save his life. And so when this guy elbowed me, I knew exactly what he was doing. I just started laughing. I said, you can't make me mad. I'm too tired. <laughs> he was trying to provoke me for my own good. Some of you need provoking, and you're too chicken to get in a group where it could happen. You'd rather sit in the stuff you stepped in. Told you, I haven't eaten. Three weeks. <laughs> then to clean up and get your act together and be a better husband, better wife, better friend, better citizen, better Christian. You need somebody to come alongside. Come on. You can do better than that. God's got more for you. Life is too short to sit in the stuff. Life is too short to settle for mediocrity. Life is too short to be, try to be a mediocre Christian. There is no such thing, by the way. So, think your expectations have been too low of yourself and others? Because I think they have. I think they've been too low for me, me and, my, and my relationships. I want, to, I want to be all that God wants me to be. I want to make the impact. I don't want to get to heaven and go, eh, about a 75%, buddy. I mean, 70%, for me, that's good. I, if I got that in school, I'd be great. But that's not what I want to hear in heaven. I want to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But I'm not going to get there by myself. I'm going to need some people to give me one of these once in a while. And by the way, the same guy picked me up out of the snow and got me going again. Took him out to dinner later for saving my life. He was a very nice guy. 
You did it because you cared. You're sitting there going, oh, crud, I think he's talking to me. I am. (laughs) Sign up for Rooted. Get a team. Otherwise, you're dead meat. Dead meat. By the way, we just read today, just today read that the vast majority of people who haven't come back to church, which is about 50% across America after the pandemic, we're not in a small group. I could just drop the mic and walk, but I'm, it's a small ceremony. <laughs> you say, man, he's being harsh today. Yep, trying to get you off this mountain alive. Find a group, find a team, get in the game. You want to be a fan and watch what God's doing? Or you want to be in the middle of it and get, let God use you? It's the only way to live. It's the only way to live. Let's pray. Lord God, sometimes I feel ornery. (laughs) Today may have been one of those, Lord, and yet I'm passionate about this. Lord, I'm tired of seeing people lose their marriages, lose their kids, settle for less than what you intended for them because they wouldn't commit to you and others. They wouldn't commit to knowing you better and let others helping them know you better. Lord, I don't know what fears cause people to be reticent to join a group or to get involved with their, a team of people who can help them know you better. But Lord, it's silly. And we need to put it aside because the game is too serious. What's at stake is too important. And so Lord God, I pray that every person here would evaluate, do they have a spiritual team around them? A team that's going to help them become who they're supposed to be and who they are going to help become Christ's followers closer, more obedient, more fulfilled, and more impactful. So Lord God, today, we ask that you would help us to gather teams around us, to join teams, to get in the game and get out of the stands. Lord God, we thank you for the privilege of being involved in your work in this world. It is the most wonderful thing. Help us to get in the game. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for letting me be honest with you today. You didn't have a choice, but you stayed, so that's good. Around the corner, by the way, is food and games and fun stuff. Last one to get the tri-tip is the loser. Go. We hope you enjoyed this message. And remember, we also have live services out in our West Auditorium on Saturday evenings and Sunday mornings. Or you can always join us live online at seacoastgrace.org or on our YouTube and Facebook pages to hear these messages in real time.